0: Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Curtis Frost. Curtis, thanks so much for being with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So uh, why don't you start off, tell our listeners who you are and where you're from.
1: Yeah. Curtis Frost. I'm originally from Southern Illinois, but live here in uh, Wintermere, Florida, and we have an office in, in Winter Garden. A lot of growing areas in Florida, so it's a good time to be in real estate in the, in the state of Florida.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is a lot of people moving to Florida uh, for many reasons uh, and uh, I mean, we may or may not get into them, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious, what got you into real estate in the beginning? What was that first exposure?
1: You know what? I would have to say my first exposure, I've realized I didn't even notice at the time. I grew up, my, my folks owned and operated their own grocery store. And, um, my dad owned the real estate and he actually at one time had three locations and his one main location, you know, I just never realized it until I started growing up and getting more into real estate learning what was going on there between the operating business and the ownership of the real estate. And, uh, through that time, I uh, started asking more questions and, uh, for one of my cousins helped develop a subway restaurant, just kind of dug in and, and, and help figure it out. And, uh, still wasn't really sure what, the, what what it was I was doing, but I was just kind of had a knack for problem solving, uh, either helping my dad with things and his real estate or my cousin and then uh, found a group that was doing a little bit of development and uh, just got thrown right into the mix and, and started learning what all what all I could
0: Nice yeah that's a formative experience to you know have your your father owning some commercial real estate and a couple of uh, grocery stores. And, and then that makes sense. A lot of times that story is that, you know, the, the father, the mother was a residential real estate agent and, you know, that was the exposure, but on your side, it was a commercial. Yeah. So hence, hence the leaning towards commercial now. And, you know, of course you're CEO of a commercial real estate firm today. And, and uh, you know, primarily you mentioned having a stabilized portfolio, but focusing on development. So I is that you're focusing on uh, retail development in Florida? Is that right?
1: Yeah, we actually so from a stabilized property standpoint, we have properties in 35 states. Uh we have active development in about 18 states right now. Okay. Uh however, I would say Florida, Florida's about where 30% of our business is and where our more complex and larger projects are just with the demand and growth. We've we've been able to fill a a role here in development in Florida. A grocery anchored shopping centers and smaller our wheelhouse. That's the the space we operate in.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And it seems like you know throughout this this entrepreneurial journey that you've had, you've you've seen success in a few different areas. And I I would love to know the single most important action that you've taken on a daily basis that has attributed most to your success.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I wake up every day and and say to myself, what's going to be changed today? Or what do I need to change today? And just embracing the fact that if you think that tomorrow is going to be uh, the same as, as today, and you think that, you know, change isn't inevitable, then it's really, really easy to get behind quickly. You know, with technology entering all sorts of spaces, particularly some interesting stories coming up in real estate and how that might change transactions, just continuing to learn, being a lifelong learner, and embracing that change that you know is coming. And if you don't see the change coming, then you got to ask yourself, what should be changing today? Because it's it's likely, you know, a bunch of small changes that if you can, if you can get ahead of, you can really establish a, a competitive advantage or make sure that you're communicating well with your team to, to lead them better. And just, just not being complacent. And I think that's that's an action every day. Wake up, get out of bed. All right, what's changing today? Or what do I need to change today?
0: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting insight there. And so when you were looking for, you know, development deals, as you mentioned, I mean, you have a stabilized portfolio in 35 states, you're actively developing at 18. I'm sure not every single deal, it, potential deal is coming to you uh, to be vetted at this point. You, I'm sure you have teams that are helping with this, but I'm just curious in the whole generation process for lead generation process uh, for a new development shopping center area that's centered on a grocery store because you're building it so are you kind of tacking on to new housing development and you're partnering with those developers and saying well with this increase in housing units they're going to need a place to shop and a place to you know visit a grocery store and things like that uh, what is the whole philosophy here of finding out the right land the right market to go develop this type of product
1: yeah you know it's a multi-pronged approach and, and obviously to your comment we have a fantastic team here and, and a lot of folks in a lot of different states working hard uh, every day, knowing what's going on in the markets. But, you know, one approach is uh, housing starts, infrastructure, studying where, uh, where those things are going. And, and then in the MSAs, where you have advanced planning and zoning, they have a pretty good indication of where things are going to go. They d- do a great job of laying it out. Uh, some communities don't have that moving as fast as what the growth's coming So then in those cases, we try to come in uh, with the municipality, sit down and and help work through it. Our our mission is to to create positive and lasting impacts on the communities we touch. And so whether or not we get development projects or development business, we're more than happy to consult uh, many times for free, clearly, just because we want to see the communities be developed the best way possible for those residents. And, you know, sometimes we see misses and, you know, that's that's where vacancy occurs or, you know, traffic issues and different things. And we really, really like to take a, a hands on approach when we can and share, you know, our brain trust here. We think we've created of, of people that really know how to to do some master planning and so forth you know, from a more Day in day out perspective. That's sort of the, the some of the longer range stuff. The more day in day out, it's your partnerships and your collaboration. I mean, sometimes we'll take the lead on track of land, and and we're partnering with multifamily uh, or uh, you know maybe some some bigger residential developers. And then the opposite's also true. You know, if if one of our multifamily uh, con- contacts comes into a larger tract of land, hey. Here's what we're doing. We want to leave this front piece and, and you all come in and do a simultaneous close and we'll we'll uh, we'll make sure that there's services there for those folks as they start moving in. And so it develops many different ways. And I think just making sure that our folks are in tune with realizing that, you know, it's a lot about the relationships and understanding, you know, where the housing growth is coming, where the people are moving and and the infrastructure, particularly in your states like like Florida and Texas.
0: Yeah. That's interesting that working with directly with municipalities and just going there to be of service, helping them to you know leverage your expertise to offer consulting and just improve the overall plan that is in place, especially if they're behind on that plan. I mean, that's tremendous value. and then of course, you're building rapport and your foots in the door, so that that makes sense to be able to come across that way and be able to win a lot of these deals. Um, as you mentioned, some free consulting comes out of it, but having that mission, that mission focus of improving the communities that you're, you're working within is super important. I own a branding, advertising and copywriting agency. And when I reviewed your website, I noticed that you had your brand guidelines dialed, you had your mission, your vision, your values, you know, the look, feel colors are all consistent. And so I'm curious, uh, at what point you went through that process. Uh, with yeah. This firm?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Super fortunate here over the last uh, over 10 years, I've been had the opportunity to spend time at Bell Leadership Institute and uh, out in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And through that process, it's it's really a a comprehensive leadership uh, training and engagement program. And, you know, what's the foundational piece of that is is about finding your mission and and if you're in charge of defining the mission well then you better start doing that because there's a lot of people counting on you and and wanting to know what that is you know you you can work a job you can you know get a paycheck earn a paycheck all that stuff but if there's not a bigger deeper purpose then you tend to to just kind of go through the motions and so for me once i started learning this over the past i would say about eight to nine years ago how important defining what that was and then not only defining it, but living it protecting it and, and and making sure that it's core and fundamental to the business that's when it started to click for me and so whenever i run different departments before i was in this position we had a department mission because that mission has to support the greater mission of the company and and uh, i would say about six years ago is when we formalized the the vision mission and core values of wmg development and uh, and you know, then the culture of the company starts to manifest itself by the mission. And you know, and then I'm the self-proclaimed uh, culture cop around here, making sure that hey, if we've got a tough decision that we have to make about a project, what's our mission here? And you know, maybe maybe it's where it's you know we, we came across something un, unintended, and it's going to make the project more expensive. Well, okay, are we going to be creating a positive impact? Are we not putting the company in a negative position? Right. Then let's keep going. We got to do the right thing. And I think some of those things are are really important to see not only the establishment of the mission, but the establishment of the the expectations behind that driving our day-to-day focus.
0: Hmm. You nailed it. It's so important. Um I'm happy to hear that you went through a leadership program that focused so much on the branding aspect. I mean you know, when you write a business plan, branding is a part of it. When you, you know, go through the leadership books like scaling up, the there's a huge focus on mission, vision, values. And you break down the big hairy audacious goal into these smaller, you know, more attainable goals, quarterly, weekly, monthly that support it. And it's just so common that that doesn't happen in business it's it's the by far the majority doesn't happen and it it's almost baffling so uh yeah i really i was shocked and and surprised to see it it's i should go to every single website doing research for a podcast and see what i saw today but yeah. i was glad to see it on yours
1: so <laughs> well thank you thank you uh, i yeah. tell you what though it, it, that is a truth and you know it, it's i think for me too one thing i think about is you know, how many times you hear about companies that have those things, but then, you know, you hear the horror stories of like onboarding when a team member says, well, we have these, but we don't really, we don't really use them or talk about it much. Uh, we start every, every meeting off with our vision, mission, core values. Um, and that, that settles us in to make sure that we're, we're mentally prepared for what's in front of us. And, and we're staying true to that.
0: Love that. That's a great way to start every meeting. And it's so quick. It's less than a minute, right? So uh, I'm curious, you're uh, mentioning development and building a brighter future for a lot of the communities that you touched impact. So you know, you're looking at a lot of different planning committees, seeing how they're forecasting different growth. I'm curious how you see the industry evolving over the next five to 10 years. You know, what are your projections? Uh, if you had a crystal ball, that could tell you everything. Uh, Yeah. Would it say?
1: (laughs) Well, if I I had a crystal ball, then I might be on a different podcast. I don't know, but you know, the next five to ten years is going to be—it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of things that I'm starting to look at, think about, read about. We're talking about non-fungible tokens. How's that going to play into real estate? You know, blockchain technology tying into deed transfers and you know stuff that I'm just barely scratching the surface on. I'm sure you could you could probably educate me better than than what I'm doing on my own right now. But the, the point is is that transactions as we know it are going to radically change. And I don't know if it'll be five years, three years, seven, 10 on the horizon is some some radical change from a from a transactional standpoint and capital. So if you think about development, development has got three pillars. Deal flow, people, qualified people, and capital, all right? And typically, you've got somebody, maybe you've got a, a team of people who's really good, but they're trying to find deal flow, and they've got capital behind them. But yeah, yeah, the, all those pillars are, are sort of uh, interesting stories that you hear about when you interview people and what they're doing and how they're having struggles and so forth. And I think that the interesting thing is there's going to be a way very soon for for capital to flow into development projects that doesn't have the historical red tape tied to it mm. i don't know how yet i don't know whether it's going to be the tokenization of real estate or or what that is but there is going to be a way it's 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 already happening in many regards when you think about crowdfunding and and some of these other ways it's just not been perfected yet i think a lot right. of the technology we've seen so far, is transitional. What I call t- transitional technology. It's it's on the cusp of being what we're gonna what we're gonna see in the future. I think once that happens, projects will 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 come online faster. I think projects will people will be more more capable of delivering. At a speed and location, and under certain jurisdictions that may have, may have had previous constraints, they'll be more efficient. Maybe I'll say the trouble I think we're going to have to overcome is how do you let people that are not quite capable keep them from raising the money and maybe delivering a less than desirable result because it's just it's more it's more easily attainable the, the capital that is. Um, is that clear? Does that make sense?
0: It did to me, and just to clarify for my listeners. I what Curtis is referring to is the ability for an average person that is not an accredited investor to be able to partake in real estate investment particularly new developments and potentially you know riskier asset classes that would only be available to you know investors that are accredited or part of syndications or have kind of this inside track hedge funds you know things of that nature and if that were true if if that became a reality this crowdfunding concept that was accepted as a whole and you could have an app on your phone where you said well inflation's at 7% stock market's going like this up and down crazy I'm not confident in that I would rather put my 500 bucks a month that I'm setting aside for savings into this new grocery store development in New Mexico and it just auto transfers in and then you know five, you get a certain percent return that exceeds inflation. And then five years later, you get a payout. It's like, how cool would that be? That's kind of what you're alluding to.
1: That's exactly right. Actually, just, you know, you're recording this. So, so dub over everything I just said, but you know, that's, (laughs) you're exactly right. And I think the ability to do that on your device, you know, let's just say we've got a new lease coming. Once a lease is signed, you can hit a button, Everybody who's signed up for notifications on that or whoever's whitelisted or, or however we did it gets a notification. Do you want in or not? And right. that is an opportunity for that capital to just flow in. Uh, luckily, we, we, we continue to fund everything on our own, but you know, as you grow and scale, you want to make sure that you're always relevant. And as your partners need you to grow, you're always looking to say, hey, what's my next option? Should I need it? And I think absolutely, this is going to be something in the next five to 10 years that'll be readily available.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's billions of dollars of untapped capital that's just sitting in people's savings accounts, IRAs, retirement accounts, doing nothing. And, you know, if they had the opportunity to vet an investment and then move it over there. And it was at the point where it was more of just an interest payment rather than them even being necessarily a limited partner. It's just like, hey, we know that based on this project and our track record, we're going to yield X and we're going to give you a percentage of X, which exceeds inflation. Do you want a part of this deal? I mean, that hedge fund, the biggest hedge funds in the world have a fraction of their client's net worth imagine having access to the entire rest of clients network where they could go direct to developments rather than going through funds like that. So really interesting future ahead for sure. And, um, you know, with that, there may be some bad actors that, you know, create some projects that end up going bankrupt or some Ponzi schemes that come out of it because it's less regulated. So there's that, that kind of side of it, which is a little bit scary. And that's why the accredited investor cap is in place so that it's restricting it to investors that are more savvy or have demonstrated success. They have the ability to take a loss like that and not have it be their entire life savings. But I think that once we get to the point where it is stabilized and it's at the point where, you know, the the risk is in the appropriate court as far as, you know, the risk of the project and the returns and everything, it'll be very interesting to be able to just fund a project from your cell phone, say yes to a notification. And, you know, now, you know, 25% 25% of my monthly allotment that I'm already siphoning off for investment is going into this bucket. And I know that it's growing. It's taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. I move on with my day. Right, that's, a, right. that's a very interesting and compelling future. And I, I really don't think that we're too far away. and I, I agree with you on that.
1: Yeah, it's close. I mean, it, And a lot of it will be tied to the credit of the, the end user, the tenant, and the credibility of the folks uh, doing the development. And I think those, mm. are, those are ways to establish yourself as a, as a major player when that space comes.
0: Well, isn't that interesting? The whole marketplace concept that you know, places like uh, just as a simple everyday example, places like OfferUp. You know, if you if you go on to sell some of your stuff, you could see the rating of that other person if they're five star, if they you know have a history. Same same kind of marketplace concept on Yelp. It's like you're going to go to a restaurant, you look at what other people have rated them as. Well, you know, what if it was as simple as that there's a, a star rating and a review process for certain developers. And, and, you know, if you have uh, thousands of reviews, 4.5 stars, just like picking my next date night restaurant for my wife, <laughs> I'm going to go with that one yeah. as opposed to the one with three stars that, you know, has, has uh, 15 reviews.
1: So. And, and, yeah. and, and uh, let me ask you, and why is it you would pick that one? Trust. Trust. Yeah. Trust. And because, because of the trust, you're expecting performance or a better experience when, when you go there and i think that's i mean it couldn't be more true if we would if we would go ahead and hold ourselves to that standard of creating world class class experience in order to boost our reviews that's going to earn repeat business that's going to earn random business when you're in a different community you're you're traveling etc people are going to look you up right and say well hey we're growing our business now in this market who's the best to work with wow looks like Looks like they're, you know, WMG, for example, is operating here in in Austin. Let's try them out. They do fantastic in other markets.
0: Yeah. Can I share something with you? Yeah. I recently just finished this process of spending a lot of money and a lot of time distilling down decades of marketing experience related to real estate in order to come up with the number one reason why someone chooses a certain firm over the other. And it came down to one common emotion that needs to be evoked within them. Do you want to know what that emotion is? I absolutely do. You already know it. Trust. We just said it, but it didn't have the build-up that it did. So <laughs> think about it. I mean, this is a this is a transaction on the residential side that is the largest one anyone will ever make, and even on the commercial side, when it's talking about investments, I mean, these are major deals, major portions of people's portfolio. And it's not something they do every day. It's not something that they have the knowledge to do themselves or they would want to do themselves It has major consequences if it's done wrong. So all of that leads to them over them, liking you over them, you know, feeling this affinity or feeling like you're the funniest guy in the room over any of those other emotions you can evoke within them with some kind of message. The number one thing that needs to be certain is that they can trust you. And one of the ways to then reinform that trust is to make sure to stay in front of them, stay in constant communication with them, continue to advertise to them. And it just helps you to maintain that level of trust once you've gained it. Cause then the other thing is that they'll forget if, you know, you have one touch five years ago, they had a great experience. Now they're ready to invest again five years later. If you're not in touch with them, then they'll go with the next person that they just saw recently that they trust. That's so crazy. that's the other, other kind of inherent nature of the beast, when it comes to being a brand of this nature, uh, being an authority brand is that yes, you can compete with those that are the largest in the industry just as equally, uh, because you can evoke trust, you know, to the same degree or more on a local level than they can. But the other aspect of it is that you then need to advertise consistently to stay in that, in that realm. So I'm curious your thoughts on that.
1: I mean, absolutely true. And uh, I think when, when we think about what is our thematic goal here, and we talk about our vision, mission, and those are true to parent. If you boil that down, it's, it's deliver world-class experiences, be authentic, be world-class. And if we stay true to that, then we're constantly doing the right thing for the right reasons in the right moment. And that includes communicating well with your customers. And, and that trust is built on, you know, let's just say you have, you got a big project going on. Hey, customer, this is how we're going to communicate with you. You'll get weekly updates this way. You'll get monthly updates this way. And call me if you're concerned. Well, that's one way to do it. Or you could say, hey, who's your team? How would you like to be communicated with? How frequently via email or call? And you're tailoring that communication. When you first care, you show you care about how you deliver messages about something that's near and dear to them. You establish a baseline of trust. Now, remember, if you miss those communication points that you agreed to, you're gonna ruin trust, right? Yes. But if you if you tailor your approach, it pauses you. It pauses you as a company, as a as a team member, uh, to say, "Wait, this is important." I need to slow down to make sure that I'm providing them the information they want. It's not, it's not one size fits all. And so that basis of trust, as it grows through this, I, I, we had one customer uh, was on vacation reading the updates and said, I can actually enjoy my vacation when I'm working with you because of the update they got. That's fantastic. That's transformational. That earns repeat business. And that's the right way to do it. And it, and it supports what you found. And your marketing efforts that trust is, is at the core of that. You and I,
0: Curtis, on the same wavelength. Yeah. <laughs> and when I onboard a new client, I part of my partnership questions are, how often do you like to receive updates on what communication channels do you prefer? Is it Facebook Messenger, it's SMS text messages, email? What should I use these channels for? And that's part of the onboarding form. And that's then awesome. we have the clear instructions of how they prefer to communicate and be communicated with then it's up to us to then fulfill that promise and maintain that trust. But it does definitely separate us from the beginning, from other marketing agencies they dealt with in the past that, you know, might become this black box that they, they gave money to and they don't know what's happening and they have no updates. It's like, you know, if they say they want weekly, all right, we put a meeting on for every single week on the same day, same time, 30 minute meeting for updates. And it's a zoom. And it's like, that's how they want to be communicated with. And then at it gets to a point often that it's too much and they're like, okay, I get it. Everything's being done. Let's do <laughs> yeah. bi-weekly. Right. Yep. But if you don't ask and you're like, Hey, we do once a month. And that's the, that's how you set the precedent. As you said, it's something, but it's not as good as it could have been. If you just asked what's, what are their communication preferences? Right. What And one other concept regarding that as well is writing an instruction manual for yourself. It's so interesting. This concept, I, I, recently shout out to superhuman it's an email service that basically replaces your uh, mail app on your your mac right and it, you, instead of going into mail on mac you go into superhuman and their full focus is inbox zero like it helps to smartly categorize it's just reinvented email so that was my initial attraction but the whole company has really just been awesome at writing these very innovative blog articles and one of them the concept was writing an instruction manual for you and then when you're getting into new working relationships you can hand it to someone and it could be one page it could be however long you want but it talks about these exact things how to schedule a certain type of meeting with you at what times of the week day or month are best to you know schedule those meetings uh at what time are absolutely off limits no no time that you could you know have on this day or or this type of thing like all these little details that you know when someone does that to you it kind of irritates you. You could just write it into a document and then communicate it to not do that or to do this or to interact in this way in order to most efficiently communicate with me as a human yeah. and doing that one time it's such an interesting concept because now you have this instruction manual that you can just like hand out like hey here's here's the best way to work with me. And yeah you can write it in whatever tone or voice you want, but it was a very interesting concept and uh i, I found that fascinating what What are your thoughts on that
1: yeah no I think that's uh that's fantastic and, and and honestly there's a lot of times where it's it's super simple stuff we just don't take the time to slow down and and put it into a form that's helpful for others you know and what I ended up doing was sort of the reverse of that is like, you know, okay, if you don't want to be bothered, I just put a block on my calendar so no one could schedule. And uh, you know, I, I think you have to do that, particularly if you're going to organize yourself in, in a way to accomplish the most with every minute, i.e. superhuman, mm-hmm. right? We're all trying to figure out how to be more effective, more efficient. And I think too, it, it, it also, it establishes that bond because when you don't have things like that, you approach somebody and they're stressed out about, you know, some issue that just came in and then you're trying to ask them about something else, they're going to land differently than if you were working with them on, you know, some sort of brainstorming session that was pre-planned instead of just catching them in a hallway or a phone call or something. And So I think it causes, it, it goes back to that same thing we were talking about, trust, right? It's trust between day-to-day interactions and, and how we want to work together And when you respect someone's time and they've given you good, good ideas of how to how to work within those times, then it continues to build trust and camaraderie. The thing I always am careful with, though, is also know when to remain flexible and reprioritize, because when you set those instruction manuals, there's certain times where it's like, well, but if it's this. I can change my priority on, on my days, And so, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I like strong guidelines, not policies, you know? So I always have (laughs) to leave that flexibility.
0: No, I I like that. And you, you know, you mentioned blocking off time in your calendar and really getting in the zone. So while we're on that topic of superhuman, you know, one of the other articles they wrote was about flow state and tracking how to get into it for you. Like at what points do you feel like you're in flow state during the week, time of day, you know, what did you eat before that? What was your sleeping habit before that kind of thing? And that way you can manufacture flow state. I thought that was also another phenomenal one. And so I'm curious if you have any types of those blocks throughout your day. For example, mine's like 10 a.m. to 11:30. That 90 minute block, I'm on fire. Like yep. that, that, that for me, what for whatever reason is this huge cognitive boost time when I could t- tackle any problem, have any difficult phone call and meeting, and I'm just I feel like Superman. So have you been able to identify some of those times of day or, or days of week that really you can just lock in and get into flow state?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that's awesome that, that you found that because it's, um, everybody has it and it's all about how to, how to manifest it more often or when you need it. Right. You know, my strategic thinking time is 10 to 12 on Fridays. I don't know what it is. 10 to 12 on Fridays. I'm clear, uh, it's almost like I clear myself of the the weekly daily operations things, and i I'm just in a good flow of thinking about the future. This may be when I go down in a rabbit hole of you know trying to figure out what that crystal crystal ball might might be. <laughs> but it usually leads to something meaningful. I think the other thing we do here and and uh, and this is part of the coaching I had is it's called flow shifting or 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 alpha shifting sometimes. But then how to how to be in the flow on one thing and 100% shift to being in flow on a different topic. That's mm. more difficult to do. So in that 90-minute block, can you flow from five different things or do you, you stay to one or two? And that uh, that's a little harder to, to master. But, but, it, but when you can, it's fantastic. Most of the time, it's consistent sleep. Eight to eight and a half hours of consistent sleep. Proper diet, proper hydration, and you can get back in that habit and that flow. But man, if you travel or or you have uh, early flights, things like that, it it can really it can it can mess up flow for a week or two if you're not careful.
0: Right. Yeah, I joined a mastermind years ago, and one of the leaders of it, he would have these mindset Monday calls, and he would talk about, hey, you guys want to increase your cognitive ability. You want to know what the number one highest performance enhancing thing that you can do for your life to get better results in the gym, to make more money, to like, he just listed off all these things. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? We all like paid all this money to be there, right? He's like, sleep. Yep. And, and, you know, it just went on to just prove the point that most high performers are chronically sleep deprived, relying on heavy doses of caffeine and nootropics and other types of cognitive enhancers, like, you know, whatever they're taking to, Oh, I got to, you know, clear this brain fog. And it's like, you're averaging five hours of sleep at night, man. Yeah. Like it's just, going, and then you, you get that rest and you just, like you know you go on vacation you shut it down you clear your mind you you come back and it's like whoa you know i recently just cut caffeine um as a personal story about 10 days ago and i went on vacation so it was like this double stack of an increase in clarity and cognitive ability and now after that 10 day period i still am not back on caffeine but i just feel phenomenal and i it's just such a a testament to what what you mentioned where it's like yeah. when your diet sleep and, you know, water intake is, is all dialed. That's when you can do what I call single tasking. You called it like alpha switching, I yeah, think. yeah. but I call it single tasking because multitasking is like coveted as this ability to, that's a great thing, but there are tons of studies that talk about how if you switch tasks or are distracted by your phone, even for a split second, it takes you 21 minutes to get back to the depth of thought. That you were previously in prior to being broken from that level of concentration. So for me, I'm big on that concept of single tasking. It might be a 90 minute block where I do one thing for 15 minutes and then I switch to one thing for twenty minutes and then I switch to, but it's all related to one bigger project. But I really try to as much as I can just eliminate distraction, single task. And yeah. it seems like that's something that in that training you, you learned as well. That, that's right?
1: That's absolutely a thing. Keep doing that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) folks that are, you know, I'll call them self-proclaimed multitaskers or or labeled as multitaskers, you know, I think a lot of times they are able to to shift quite quickly from from project to project, but it's there's plenty of studies out there that'll show you can't give a hundred percent of your being to more than one thing at a time. And so when you start to multitask, let's say, and you take on multiple tasks and try to do it in the same typing and talking on the phone, you're going to miss what all is being said on the phone if you're trying to to type something. And so, you know, it's even distractions too. If you're working on drafting a document and you've got these notifications on your, your email that ding, it's something that simple that can, can shift you out and cause you to lose that 20 some minutes of focus. You glance for a second at that pop up, second, second, and it costs you so much to get back in the flow of what, what you were doing. So you know it's it's important. Take time. Turn those notifications off. That instruction manual you talked about for yourself. Go ahead and say, hey, my service level uh, of responses on my email, for example, is going to be within twenty four or forty eight hours. Whatever those expectations are, that need to be set. If you need me, and it's a nine one one, here's how to communicate with me. Those are all meant to create, you know, efficiency and effective, effectiveness to pr- produce the highest levels of performance you can, it's not always perfect, but you got to take you know. the steps you can to, uh, to know what ideal is, you know?
0: Absolutely. And you nailed it. And Tim Ferriss talks about it in this way. He says, if you're screen printing shirts and you have one shirt to screen print, it takes you the same amount of time to produce one shirt as it does to produce a hundred shirts. So, you know, why wouldn't, cause you have to change the screens. There are these different types of time consuming costs that go in that just eat up time when you have to go from one design to another. And that's yeah. why, you know, when you're getting shirts, there's like batches of 12 or batches of however many is a minimum order, cause you're not going to screen print one shirt. Now there's a different process called direct to garment. That's a whole different thing that just laser prints one thing and it can constantly switch. But this concept of batching, I have applied to so many things in my life and I've gone on a low information diet, shut off notifications, like the little bells on my, on my computer, the, a lot of the notifications on my phone. Um, I had zero a couple of years ago when I went really strict on this. And then I brought a couple of key ones (laughs) back, but uh, then I get to them in batches. And it also trains everyone in your life that that's the expectation. If you're training them that when they text you, you get back to them immediately, they're going to keep texting you for, and and it it might annoy you, but they don't know that. And so if instead you're, when you're locked in, they know that like you, you're not going to get back to them for a couple hours, uh, then that's the expectation. Right. And so, yeah, all of this just increases the productivity and the communication levels to you and your team members, which gets more done, helps you make more money, helps you impact more people. So I think these are really important topics to talk about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, sometimes by default, if you're not available, they end up having to make a decision or, or something. And, and then just always being sure you high five them and say, thanks for making the decision rather than wait, you know?
0: Yep. They figure out themselves, they make the decision. And, you know, that's another concept. If you're a, a leader that is having difficulty with your, the people on your team that you're leading, asking you too many questions where you'd rather them just figure it out. Uh, you could give a dollar amount and say, if this decision is going to impact our firm less than $500 or less than $5,000 or whatever that number is, make the decision on your own. That's what Ritz-Carlton does with their frontline and their managers. They give their frontline employees up to $500 to make a decision in the moment to fix a guest issue. And they say to their managers, up to $5,000 on to, to immediately remedy an issue, right? So... What that does is it helps clear the channels farther up the chain so that the, the, the executive leaders can focus on strategy rather than getting all these escalated customer complaints, which could have been handled at lower management levels. And I think it's a really smart model. I mean, just yeah. eat it, move forward, empower the frontline team members that are dealing with customers on a daily basis. And it's a really smart way to help free up your time.
1: That's right. And to be clear... Those individuals that have the $500 to $5,000 limits, they're putting power in the hands of the people who are closest to the problem or opportunity. They're going to know exactly what the issue is. They're going to understand what the right thing to do is. And and so just, just give them the confidence to know that they have latitude. It reduces the red tape. And if you think about what we talked about earlier, how much more trust does that customer now have that they got their issue resolved? face-to-face in the moment, it builds brand awareness. And they're gonna say, hey, I had a great experience or I had a negative experience, which turned into a great experience because they solved my issue in the moment. That's great, you know?
0: No, I agree. And I like, the conversation that we've had today on this podcast, because it could help literally any entrepreneur in the world. This is not even just a real estate discussion about, you know, raising capital for grocery stores or, you know, how to grade and develop lots in the way that, and structure the, the grocery store to the car wash, to the, the retail outlets that makes the most sense. Like this is something that is applicable to everyone. So I really appreciate, you know, that all of the things we've talked about today, I'm curious if there's a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier.
1: You know, I would say one thing is, what are we doing that I'll say presents a competitive advantage over others? And um, I think that was maybe something we talked about or or was in the pre-recording discussion. But it's interesting because when you think about competitive advantages, they, they come and go as quickly as as they're they're defined if you don't protect them and so i guess i just want to kind of talk more about that that culture piece of your organization your being and your growth because i think that if you anchor on to that vision mission core values you build a culture around it uh, the competitive advantage exists With your people and their ability to deliver the best results, uh, very much like the Ritz-Carlton example you just gave. And so maybe just as a last thought, I would, I would urge people to really take a look at that and make sure that that's core and fundamental. And you don't have to be a large organization to start. You can be an individual on your own, but start with that vision, mission, core values and understand as, as you grow or what experience you're going to leave for those customers you work with and define it and stay true to it. Because I think that is, is that foundational piece of that trust that, that will allow people to, to compete, to be successful and to, to earn business.
0: Great points. Really appreciate you touching on that. How can listeners contact you?
1: you know, best way is through our website. As you saw, it's pretty robust. And so um, our team does a great job of of fielding incoming questions and thoughts and commentary. And, and that's the best way.
0: Awesome. And, you know, really appreciate having you on. Curtis Frost, everyone. He's based in Florida, but his firm is nationwide. And it's been a phenomenal discussion about some of the entrepreneurial habits that have gotten you to where you are today. Like I said before, easily applicable to anyone in any industry. So I'm sure this would be a podcast that I share a lot and uh, really appreciate the discussion that we had. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal